Today on Movie Warlers, we talk about the trial of the Chicago 7, what the Constitution means to me, Gloria's, Enola Holmes, and Holiday 8. It's time for Movie Warlers. Hi, this is Joe. Hi, it's Rashmi. Movie Wild Eyes is your weekly dose of film reviews, movie news and general banter in theatres, on DVD, online streaming or in the back of an airplane if you love the movies, this show is for you. Hello again, Yasdi. Hello, greetings. This is this is one of those uh, fake uh, hello Yasdis because we've been talking to you for the last hour having just recorded our <laughs> previous podcast. So, um, But I'm happy to see you guys again, nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the same oh, Skype session, Yazdi. And Rashmi's got hiccups. I got hiccups between the last show and this one. It's because she's drinking lime water. That you, Is that your lime water? It's my lime water, yeah. Because you've been squeezing lime juice into well, bottles of okay, water. Okay, so now we're going to go there. And then there. yelling so at me for drinking her lime water. This is what happened. So what we happened. go and buy a big, you know, bag of limes from Costco and, you know, freezer, fridge drawers, you don't have that many. And so we have one drawer where we put all the limes and the limes. It's going to be so boring for people to listen to. And inevitably what happens is the limes go brown. And Joe mm-hmm. is rather like, you know, the princess and the pea in that he doesn't like things that get defected at all. And so when he sees a, a lime with brown skin, he rejects them. And so oh. then we went and we bought another bag of fresh la- limes. One. And yeah. and because Rashmi is part of the brown limes matter movement, <laughs> she has to save them and use them. Yeah, well, like so I ended up, yeah, I, yeah, brown limes do matter. And so basically I ended up not wanting to <laughs> throw them and I squeezed all of them at, you know, great, great pain and time and got like a whole big tub of them. And so now what? I'm drinking fresh lime water. And yeah. so it's, you know, the fruits and of my, literally the fruits of my labor. That's and great. So, and, and nothing like good citrus. Exactly, and, you know, yes. And all of them, no sugar. Them. It's healthy. See, I'm very conservative. I like my limes green. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so but my lime water is very precious. And it gives you, and evidently it gives you hiccups. And evidently, oh, but they've gone now. Okay, well that's a good that's thing. That's good. Okay. okay. So, um, well, that was a dose of banter. Let's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, and lime juice. Yes. So, um, gosh, we have been uh, busy streaming more and more. It's um, it's good. It's been great. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't feel like we're we're quite as movied up as we would be in an ordinary year but it's still nice mm-hmm. to get access to like so much great stuff and a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today is just available on you know netflix and Amazon. new new in 2020 a new lot of this stuff content. we're trying to give you a lot of new stuff we just signed up for a showtime um free free trial we're, we're, we're dipping in and out of showtime for, for for various reasons we haven't done hbo for a while we need no. to maybe do a dose of HBO um, sometime soon, but there's loads of stuff. It's it's great, and um, no no. Showtime complaining. has a, has a new show called Our Lord, Lord Bird. I think. Yeah, Our Lord Bird. I think yeah with uh, yeah, Ethan Hawke. With Ethan Hawke. Yeah, it looks. I'm hearing great things excellent. about it. 
Yeah. No, so do watch and report back to us. Yeah, we dropped Disney and Hulu, and now we have Showtime. And yeah. HBO. And Netflix. We, Netflix. Ah. we were saying Netflix is the one we find really hard to drop. It's the one constant. Mm-hmm. Well, they're very clever about the way they release content. And I think, um, you know, they haven't fallen into the trap yet of drip feeding us shows. So, you know, we've got the trial subscription of Apple TV Plus, which, um, you know, they did the Netflix thing to start with. But some of their new shows now, they're dripping out, you know, one week at a time, which is a little frustrating to those of us that have become accustomed to kind of the Netflix style where, you know, a series gets, you know, pushed out and then you can watch one or ten in one session, however you choose to consume it. Um, mm-hmm. and it's a little frustrating to have to wait a week, which is very arbitrary on a streaming service um, to, to catch up with the whole thing. So I'm a little annoyed with Apple TV Plus because we're watching the um, the long way up the Ewan McGregor, mm-hmm. Charlie Borman motorbike ride from the tip of South America all the way to LA. And um, you know, love those those shows, but it's really annoying because you kind of get a cliffhanger at the end of each one that makes you wait a week. And I'm like, I don't want to watch, I don't want to wait that long. So, grr. Well, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, the show is originally being released on BBC or something, and it is releasing every you know, every week and then what shows up on Apple TV can only be as quick as what shows up mm, on their original point. content. I didn't know that. Yeah. So maybe that's why. But it's then I just say, heck, wait until it's done and yeah. <laughs> give me all the episodes. And we, like, you know, I know in fairness, Netflix... we could just wait, but we don't because yeah. they're so good. So just to give you an example, uh, two of my favorite shows on Netflix are the great, Brit- the great British baking show. And uh, Schitt's Creek and the great British baking show, you know, during the pandemic, they were able to get their contestants in a bubble and they are now showing them on Channel 4. That's interesting. And so Netflix is releasing them two days after they get shown in the UK on on Channel 4. So it is dripping in every week, whereas with uh, with the last season of Schitt's Creek, uh, they just waited out the whole season. And, you know, after the whole thing was shown on Pop TV in Canada, uh, several months later, it just showed up as one big block on Netflix. So I, I I don't know what the terms of their contracts are, but they seem to be two different models. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think it, it like I say, I think it feels rather cynically to me as a way to keep people subscribing mm-hmm. for longer periods. Because, you know, if it's a popular show, HBO did this famously with Game of Thrones, where they would, mm-hmm. um, you know, people would drop HBO and then, you know, sit tight until... Um, until Game of Thrones came back and then, you know, but so no, the idea is those fans would avidly watch that show every week and they would have to subscribe for three, three or four months to kind of get through the whole season. Um, Anyhow, minor grumble, uh, but it's still a wonderful time to be a streaming consumer. So why don't we get into our reviews for the week? Um, We have The Trial of the Chicago 7, we have what the Constitution means to me, Gloria's, Enola Holmes, and Holiday. So, should we go in that order? Yeah, and um, I think the first three, uh, you know, we uh, election season is upon us, and um, mm-hmm. you know, 
I'm not sure when you're going to release this, but we are the eve, almost the eve of the election in the U.S. And so, this will um, be after. yeah, this will be after. But, you know, it's it's interesting that there are this many. And if you just look in any streaming service at the minute, there are so many documentaries and remakes of historical events, you know, related to elections and presidents and such like political figures. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to talk about um, the trial of the Chicago 7, and I have the interest. So this is the story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at a 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. And I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know much about this until we watched the movie. But the, the interesting thing about this one is... It's not only written by Aaron Sorkin, it's also directed by him. And this is only his mm -hmm. second movie that he's directed. The first one being Molly's Game, which came out about two years ago, I think, uh, with, oh, Jessica with Jessica Chastain. Chastain. Um, yeah. So this has an amazing cast. So bear with me as I read you the cast. Um, so this is Eddie Redmayne, Alex Sharp, Sasha Baron Cohen, who we just spoke about in the last podcast, um, Jeremy Strong, John Carroll Lynch, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, the Abdul second, Martin. Mark Rylance, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ben Shankman, JC McKenzie, Frank Langella, Danny Flaherty, Noah Robbins, John Doman, and Michael Keaton. This is an incredible cast. Um, so, Yazdi, what did you think of the trial of the Chicago 7? Uh... Yeah, like you, I'm ashamed that I did not know much about them, uh, about this particular piece of uh, American history. Uh, and, you know, by many accounts, this particular trial, which transpired in 1969, is considered one of the most notorious trials ever to, to occur in, in, in American history. And essentially, the trial dragged on for like a good 200 days. And, you know, there were... Uh, you know, there's a lot of history behind it. Um, I think whether you, I think whether you enjoy this movie or whether it turns you off, will depend on your general reaction to Aaron Sorkin. Um, I think Aaron Sorkin is a very particular presence. Certainly, as a screenwriter, he tends to, you know, he's very uh, erudite. He writes. Nobody quite writes dialogue like him. But he also always inevitably puts a lot of his own personal philosophies and his own personal politics into what he writes. And he does overwrite. And, you know, that sometimes turns people off because he can get a little heavy handed. I mean, certainly, you know, things that he's written brilliantly, like the social network, you know, just hold will hold up to the test of time. But, you know, some of his other stuff can come off seeming a little too on the nose. Um, so I happen to fall in the camp where I'm just giddy with his writing. I, I cannot get enough of it. So I forgive it for a lot of its flaws. Um, I think this, this movie as a whole has a look of being overproduced, meaning everything is gleaming and sharp and the production design is like incredible. Um, but at the end of the day, I think this is a story which needs to be known, if only as a history lesson. Uh, it's very, very relevant to what's happening right now because we have all these clashes between 
you know, between protesters and, and the police. And, you know, we're kind of somehow at the same crossroads that we were, you know, 50 years ago. So I think it's very relevant. Um, and so for all of its faults, I just thrilled to the movie. I had a hard time the first 20 minutes, but once I got sucked in, I got sucked in. I started watching the movie at 11 o'clock in the night, oh. thinking I'll just watch like a half hour, you know, and then watch the rest the next day. And I watched this straight through like till 1.30 in the night, which gives, you know, I, I just, I, it was very compelling. And we can talk more about it. Joe. Joseph. So, interestingly, uh, I knew this was an Aaron Sorkin movie, but on the, the the day that we we started watching it, that particular factoid had had evaporated from my mind. And and to the movie's credit, it doesn't have, you know, directed by Aaron Sorkin plastered all over the beginning. Uh, and as a result, I, I watched it without my usual bias of of Aaron Sorkin movies. I haven't forgiven him yet for butchering the Steve Jobs movie that I um, that came out a few years ago. That he turned that into a real soapbox. Uh, with characters talking with Aaron Sorkin's voice and not the real <laughs> characters. And that's basically my main criticism of Aaron Sorkin movies. He, it, it very much feels like his dialogue. It feels like he is making points that he wants to make in you know very eloquent and, and um, clever ways, but it feels like he's talking through all of the characters. This mm -hmm. movie avoids that which I was pleasantly surprised by. I mean, yes, clearly in retrospect, it's it's very Sorkin-like, but I didn't, I felt that the characters had their own voices. I felt that um, not every character was, uh, you know, a, 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 a megaphone <laughs> for Aaron Sorkin. Uh, and the the movie made its point really well. It's it's um, you know I think it felt a little too drawn out. I mean it it is ultimately you know at its core a courtroom drama, and so I think as it it had so many things that it wanted to say. I think the main message that the movie gets to in its final act was a little bit lost in the shuffle. So as I sit here right mm -hmm. now, I'm struggling to kind of recall the punchline. But that doesn't mean to say the movie wasn't very clever and accomplished. So, yeah, I like this one. Yeah, I'm with Joe on this one as well, Yazdi. I, it's the most unsorkin sorkin movie um, because it's wordy, but it's not, you know, verbal diarrhea. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, I think it suffers from having too big a cast. And so you don't get to spend enough time with each of these really important characters who clearly had something to contribute to history. And so we're trying to condense a trial that took months and months and months and months into two and a half hours, two hours and some minutes. Yeah, two hours and nine minutes. And so I didn't feel like I came away, you know, wowed by this movie, but I think it's very magnificent and admirable. And I think it's telling an important story that's very relevant. And in fact, you know, again, we, we didn't grow up here and so we don't know a, a ton about every nuanced historical event that occurred, but clearly this was a, a an important thing that happened. And so I feel like we came away saying, oh, wow, not much, not much has changed since 1968. Um, you know, the same issues are coming up and the same battles. Um, 
So, so again, I, I think I'll sum it up by saying it, it felt magnificent and it's admirable and it's an important story, but I wasn't wowed by it. I found it very compelling because for me, as heavy-handed as Sorkin's uh, treatment of all, and it's 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 really dealing with everything. It's dealing with racism. It's dealing with you know, this constant push and pull between, you know, new agey progressive thought versus the more conservative law and order thought. And then it's talking even within the faction of, you know, left progressive thinking, you know, how much left is left versus the centrist left. And, you know, the, the I think Sorkin sees a lot of himself in the Eddie Redmayne character. Mm. And just like you said, you know, just like you said, Joe, to his great credit, he has written the Sasha Cohen Baron character just as well as he's written, you know, the Eddie Redmond character. And I don't think he believes that you should be like, uh, you know, the Abby Hoffman character played by yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen, who is like this, you know, very in your face, you know, take no prisoners kind of, you know, capitalism is evil, bring everything down. So he, I think he's he's juggling a lot of balls in the air. And because he's dealing with so many issues, and the way it is edited, it's kind of hitting on all of these issues. And there's nuances to all of these characters. I agree, Rashmi. I think we often say this. Many of these movies would be well served if it was done, like, even as a three or four part yes, series. Where yes. you could give a little bit more, more attention to it. I, I came away feeling like I still didn't have all the details. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a very conscious choice. Uh, that they only pulled the relevant details in. Um, and the movie also does this very interesting thing where it almost in the first 10 minutes just jumps straight into the trial. You know, it, there's not much building of what Correct. led to the events which caused the trial. And then everything that you see about the events is in flashback. Um, and by the way, talk about production design. A lot of external shooting here done with, you know, amazing, you know, you know real you know, set uh, real uh, outdoor locations with, you know, people and dresses and all of this stuff. Um, so it, it, it was very, very engaging to me because I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is how the judge at that time could treat somebody who was an African-American, you know, or, oh, wow, you know, this is how the government at that time tried to handle protest, you know, people who are protesting, there's so much here yeah. that it almost feels like you're just doing lip service and then jumping on to the next topic. But even then, it kind of really added up to a lot. I think the movie is being criticized from what little I've read in the critical community about it. The movie is being criticized about how it becomes a little preachy in its very last portion. But that preachy thing really worked for me. I mean, I was very genuinely moved in that very last scene. I shouldn't be because it's it's very manipulative. It's really trying to kind of, you know, appeal to your certain sensibility. And if you have that sensibility, it's like, look, 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 this horrible thing. So in, again, I, in spite of all of it faults, it worked for me as a package. And I think more than anything else, this movie is a great testament to he may not be the most accomplished director, but he really knows how to get things out of actors. I mean, there's some incredible acting here. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some of these names show up, you know, on the best supporting actor 
category. I mean, I, I, I can think of six names right away, right now, like sure. Mark Ryland. Sure, and, and even the little part that uh, Michael Keaton has is oh, very Keaton. powerful, right? He comes in at the end, he does his little bit, and it's very powerful. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt is great, right? He's not. These are people who aren't one of the Chicago Seven who are mm -hmm. on trial. I I just um, wish or, that it had had a little bit more bite, right? For me, it played very... I know what you're saying about there's the trial and it's happening in a very linear manner, which it has to, and then you get these flashbacks. But I wanted a bit more bite. I didn't feel like it was contentious enough for being an Aaron Sorkin film. Um, so, so that's really it. I, th I think that's really where I, where it sits for me. I, I admire the movie, but again, I wanted to be wowed by this movie, and I like these political dramas. Yeah, again, I mean, I think the movie is is, is very effective. I, I think it's it's ambitious, and I think it's ambitious to put a lot of characters, you know, necessarily in there. Um, you know, we didn't get to really know the entire cast in the sense of you know the the full seven. And like you, Yazdi, I think I would have wanted to know a little bit more about some of the the side characters because I think. Uh, you know, with it being this big, long trial. Um, and plus, you know, the way that the movie ultimately pivots to its conclusion with, you know, a very small but, you know, ultimately pivotal revelation. I don't feel, again, if, mm -hmm. if you want to play this out as a thriller, this, I felt blindsided by that particular um revelation because I, I felt that the movie and maybe maybe I just wasn't intelligent to put enough to put it all together as the movie went along but um, I think that in that moment would have had a lot more impact if we'd had a little bit more um, you know foreshadowing so that you know it would have been the kind of you know the Watergate moment you know the kind of mm. the, this is this this particular mm -hmm. revelation speaks to the corruption uh, at the mm -hmm. very highest level of government yeah. that existed at the time. And I think that should have been a gut punch. I should have been, you know, like floored by that, especially because I had no prior knowledge of it going into this movie. So, you know, a, a little limp, <laughs> so to speak, in, in, mm -hmm. in terms of its drama, which is a surprise because Sorkin really does revel on those, you know, high amplitude moments and, and yeah. this didn't have that. That sounds like a, you were ready to give it a if score. If you want me to give it a score, yeah, sure. Um, so a, a compelling watching experience, I'll give you that, Yasti, you, you, you said that. And I think, you know, there was not a single, um, you know, millisecond of this movie where I wasn't utterly transfixed uh, by what was playing out by the performances I was seeing, um, by the education that I felt I was getting from from the moment. And uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a slightly stingy seven because I do think it was, it merited more than that. Just not, not quite my cup of tea. Yes, D. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, very ambitious that somebody like Sorkin took on something which happened 50 years ago and has done enough research on it to write for all of these. These are real people. A lot of these people are alive right now. Um, so it's it's highly ambitious. I just wish, like I said early on, that there had been an opportunity to delve a, li a little bit more into detail. I, I mean, I, I think he was trying to juggle 
as heavy heavy handed as it is i think he wanted to not come on too strong so some of these issues are deliberately underplayed in the movie which maybe they could have had a little bit more bite if there was a little bit more um you know drama associated with it like i think you know the yaya abdul mateen the second who plays bobby seal who's the head of the black panthers i mean he was there in chicago for 48 hours and he somehow got pulled into this when there was almost no evidence that you know he was even involved with the remaining seven people i mean some of these seven people hadn't even met each other so i i think the movie is kind of being fairly uh it's fairly angry and it's it's fairly it's indicting you know the government nixon's government at that time and you know it definitely is very open about where it stands with its own politics you know but i being that even within that 2 hour and some minute time frame i mean we get to know a lot of nuance about you know the the joseph gordon levitt character who is kind of a reluctant attorney i mean he he's not happy to take the role he's been given and he's not too happy playing it but he plays it um the the judge played by frank langella who comes comes across as probably the villain in the movie it was fascinating because you know a lot of people after the fact believe that he was not a fair judge at all and you know to play him with somebody who's trying to deal with a politically exploding situation it was all the talk at the time you know i cannot imagine what kind of pressure was on his shoulder so i think a lot of these things do come through and the and the movie kind of has continued to play in my mind since i've watched it a few days ago so at the end of the day like some filmmakers like david fincher etc i every time you know aaron sorkin comes out to bat i want to stand up and clap because i'm afraid that if we don't do it you know hollywood will stop giving him money to do this so i just love his voice i just love how personal he is and how he injects himself in every one of these characters it may be a fault but there's nobody else who is so impassioned in writing as well as he is so 8 out of 10 i i just appreciate it with all its flaws yeah the chicago 7 gets a 7 out of 10 for me as well um i think definitely an admirable movie that lacks sizzle and bite um i i wish this had been a mini series Yeah, I think the telling thing for me was I uh, ended with a series of title cards which was mm-hmm. just, you know, kind of a frustrating um experience for me because again, the richness of uh some of the content here I felt was left on the table. I think there was m- much more to learn about the 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 aftermath of this which again, you know, you can't put everything into one single movie. Plus, I didn't do the thing that I normally do. which is when i see something like this which is immediately head off to the internet to start researching the real characters the real trial the real occurrence it it didn't leave me with that kind of sense of um outrage and again i think it was a slightly softened blow as i've said before so movie number 2 this week along similar lines is what the constitution means to me which rashmi i think you're going to tell us about yeah and uh Interestingly enough this is a live Broadway cast production of Heidi Schreck's play presenting mul- multiple facets historical perspectives and personal experiences with the US Constitution very interesting directed by Marielle Heller written by Heidi Schreck and uh, credited cast is Heidi Schreck Mike Iveson Rosdalie Cyprian 
and Thursday Williams, amongst many others. And Yazdi, I think you're the only one who's seen this. Um, and this is mm-hmm. streaming on Netflix, I believe. Oh, uh, it's on Amazon. Amazon, Amazon Prime. Prime. Oh, of course, yeah, Prime Video. So, Yazdi, yes. what does the Constitution mean to me? So in 2019, Heidi Schreck did this mostly one-act play on Broadway, and it got nominated for Best Drama Pulitzer Prize, and it just barely missed winning it. So, um, and, you know, this particular, what we see on the Amazon Prime is, I think it's it shot over two different Broadway shows of, of this particular uh, play, and Mariel Heller, who, you know, who did Diary of a Teenage Girl and Can You Ever Forgive Me? And then last year, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, she's the one who's directed it. So clearly, she, you know, she has a lot invested in it. And it's a fascinating story because it's one woman's experience um, in what the Constitution means to her, hence the title. But essentially, when when um, when she was a 15 year old, her parents uh you know, were not well-to-do, and they realized that there were many competitions locally available where kids would get quizzed on the American Constitution, and that if she if she studied enough of it, then she could make enough money to pay for, you know, school and college, and that's what came to be. So um, she really knows, knows the American Constitution, and um, the whole play, in a way, is a very intelligent, very cleverly thought out and very personal look at, you know, the state of the Constitution. The the U.S. Constitution is one of the only ones, um, you know, of the developed nations which has not been fundamentally changed in like 300 years. You know, every other, you know, advanced nation in the world has had a major redoing of the constitution because life changes. Life has changed in the last 300 years and what may be applicable, what might've been applicable 300 years ago may not be. And so you get into this very political field where a lot of people, uh, particularly those uh, conservative thoughts, believe that the constitution is holier than the Bible and it is not to be touched and our forefathers were gods and you know, they they invested the Constitution with a lot of forethought, and we don't that we are arrogant if we think we we have the ability even to change it. Whereas there are others who believe that the U.S. Constitution is leading us down a path where it restricts us from progressing where we need to, and that we should. There's nothing wrong in taking the best of what there is and and redoing it. And the funny part of the whole play is that at the end of the play, it actually you know, there's a debate which happens between the lead character and another person. And and one person is for keeping the constitution. The other one is for removing it. And at the end of the play, they quiz the whole audience and they collect a vote in terms of how many people are for it, how many people are against it. And again, I give a lot of credit to Heidi Schreck because she's not making the case one way or the other. She believes in the almost gospel-like validity. She says it's a flawed argument, but it, I mean, it's a flawed document, but it's a beautiful document. And it's a document that stood, you know, withstood the test of time. And I think the reason why this show was so big and it got, you know, nominated for a Pulitzer Prize is because she's able to bring in her own life's stories into it. Not just the fact that when she was 15, but how things played out with her mother and how things played out with her grandmother and how, 
you know, racial relations continue on in your life and, you know, certain things which, I mean, the entire U.S. Constitution in all its form, with all the amendments, does not use the word woman a single time. There is no discounting for women's rights or anything. Well, that's an and amendment, so, right? That, that all those things, all of those things come as amendments. Correct. So, yeah. I mean, there is a lot of political fodder here. And right now, you know, in light of, you know, what's happened in the last couple of weeks with the new Supreme Court justice yep. being brought forward, there is a lot of discussion about the Constitution. And she's, you know, Amy Coney Barrett is one who is a originalist and so forth. So this this is very, very topical. It's not boring. Um it has enough pain in it. You can see that in some way or the other, the Constitution affects every single one of us. We don't realize it. Uh, it affects us fundamentally. US. Yeah, in so many different ways. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much text in the Constitution, which is just impossible to understand and therefore open to interpretation. Right. And she goes over all of these things in a brisk, you know, 90-minute tape show. So... I I can't think of a single person who should not watch this. Maybe if you're not an American citizen, it may not mean as much. But it's it's educational. Or, or it it's may, heartbreaking. Yeah. Or or it may actually be a good education into why things are the way the things are here in this country. So. Well, I mean, right. you know, the the wonderful thing about this topic is immediately it spurs, spurs debate, right? I mean, right. The, the, I, I immediately want to kind of crack open a beer with the two of you and start, you know, debating, um, you know, the pros and cons of, you know, is is the Constitution sacrosanct or is it, you know, uh, is it something that we should, as a culture, you know, accept needs to, to move with the times? And there are equally valid arguments on both sides of that. But that's the conversation I immediately want to have upon hearing a description of this movie, Yazdi. And, and I think, um, you know... I think I'm, this is definitely one for us to watch. Like, I'm queuing it up right now as we oh, speak to, to for us to watch when we're done. So, right. Yazdi, it sounds like this was a, a really valid uh, and viewing experience. And, and surprisingly, scoring 100% on Rotten Tomatoes... Now, granted, it's only 28 people who have uh, reviewed it, but that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I I think, if you again, if you stick with the first 10 minutes may seem a little weird. It's a little, it throws you off because it's a film version of a play. Um, but once, once you hear her voice, she has a very, very strange cadence to her voice and, and how, she, how she formulates her thoughts. But once you, once you're with her, it's actually very clever how uh, how the how the whole thing has been structured as a play. There's a lot of thought which has gone into it, and it it makes it seem like it's it's uh, spontaneous, but it's not. It's all been thought through. Uh, there is only one other character um, on the stage, um, which I won't spoil for you. And then the last half. I mean, again, I, I want more people to see it, but the last half an hour of the play is she invites a current 15-year-old girl who is doing the same thing she used to do when she was 15, is participating in these quizzes for the Constitution. She brings her on stage, and then she and her debate, you oh, know, whether the Constitution should be kept or not. And okay, it's so just don't tell us any more now, because it will be spoiled. Yes, I'm like, oh, I'm excited so to watch it now. It's definitely worth watching. So, um, eight and a half out of ten, which I would back down to an eight. It's very necessary viewing right now. Good stuff. Thank you. I'm uh, really excited to to listen to that. Me too.
to watch it rather. Um, okay, moving on. Um, staying in the politically themed, politically charged uh, arena, we have the movie Glorious. Uh, <clears throat> and Glorious is the latest movie from uh, Julie Taymor, who uh, mm -hmm. we know, uh, well, she executive produced Lion King, but she directed Midsummer Night's Dream, Across the Universe, and Frida from a few years ago. So she's got some. And she was the. She was the original director of Lion Queen on Broadway. Ah, okay. That's really, that's yeah. useful to, to know. Because, yeah, yeah, John Favreau directed the, the live-action version. Um, movie stars uh, Julianne Moore, uh, Alicia Vikander, uh, and Janelle Monae, among others. And the logline here of the movie is the story of Gloria Steinem from her childhood in 1940s Ohio to her leading role in the women's liberation movement. Uh, so, uh, Rashmi and Yazdi, I think no, you've, just no, me. just Rashmi seen this one. So Rashmi, have at it. So I was super excited to watch, uh, this movie because the cast is amazing. And, um, I also respect a lot Gloria Steinem. I think she's an in incredible woman. If you're a woman, you know, y you will not, not know Gloria Steinem's name. So having said that, um, it's an interesting concept. The fact that um, you just told me that this woman is kind of uh, famous for doing Broadway, I guess, or plays, makes puts a lot of things into context. Um, because what this movie shows is it's Gloria Steinem in many different phases of her life all talking to each other at times. So sometimes young young Gloria, played by Alicia Vikander, is sitting next to older Gloria, played by played by Julianne Moore, on a bus ride, and so the whole movie is this discussion between the Glorias, and then flashbacks of the of of the life she led, and so it jumps around a lot in time, from like you know one minute you're very young to very old to, you know. 20s back to old then back to young so it jumps around a lot and so you've got to really do a lot of active watching and for me it seems less about how she became the the, the infamous activist that she was and more about a lot of it's about gender discrimination it spends a lot of time in the kind of you know 60s and 70s and a lot about her relationship with her parents which is supposed to tell us how she became who she is, but it doesn't quite get there. And what an amazing influence her father was. So it's interesting, but it's tonally inconsistent. And then it mingles in real footage into the movie. And then there are some weird dreamlike sequences. And so it doesn't quite click together. I think it should have been one or the other, either this kind of ethereal dreamlike sequence or it should have been factual footage mingled into the real movie but this kind of meshing of these things just didn't work for me um i think ultimately it's not compelling but it's interesting because it has you know it tries to highlight what hasn't changed in decades the same problems that we're fighting today um and I'm disappointed because, like I said before, Gloria Steinem is such an important person in history and in, you know, civil civil rights. 
And it doesn't necessarily talk about her deep impact on women's rights. It's more about her, but it doesn't even do that, I think, as efficiently as it should or as deeply as it should. Um, ultimately, for me, a better version of this or a good accompaniment is watch Mrs. America, where Kate Blanchett is um, the main character, but the Gloria Steinem story in that miniseries is unbelievable. Like that to me is a much better mm. version of this. Um, look, ultimately I'll sum this up. It gets to the right place, but it takes a lot of wrong turns and it takes a long time getting there. I'm going to give this a six out of 10. How's the acting considering that Julianne Moore is here and Alicia Vikander, which we, who we haven't seen in a while? The acting is, is faultless. It just doesn't seem to get deep into who Gloria Steinem is. And I think the fact that I'd already watched Mrs. America, where that portrayal mm. of Gloria Steinem is so good, I was just really let down by this. And in fact... But, but to Yasti's point, is it the acting that's at issue or the writing? The writing. I mean, you know, it's the, the writing. The, the performance is strong. Because, yeah. The, I mean, this cast is incredible. Yeah, the right. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I've seen both of them do much, much better work. Right? I mean... This is not Julianne Moore in um, The Kids Are All Right. Um, mm. Gloria. Yeah. So not. Yeah. I mean, she, it's really underplayed. And I don't know if that's a reflection on Gloria Steinem, the person, or the directing, but ultimately it failed, failed in the editing too because there's so much of this jumping around that it's really difficult to to keep the narrative, I think. And so you're left with a feeling rather than a cohesive story about who Gloria Steinem was and how she became, for me personally. Plus, if you're doing this kind of met meta thing where the same character at two different ages are talking with each other. Well, it's other, actually then... four different ages. Yeah, so then that can come off very pretentious unless it's really grounded. So, yeah. Okay, moving okay. on. The next movie to talk about is Enola Holmes. And Yasti, can you give us yes. a background? Yes, so, Eno yeah, I'm, I'm happy to uh, introduce that movie. So, Enola Holmes is currently playing on Netflix, and uh, you can watch it any old time. And uh, it's sort of a reimagining um, of characters peripheral to those which were originally penned by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes. So this is based on a book uh, by Jack Thorne, and it sort of imagines the life of uh, a young Sherlock Holmes, but more specifically Sherlock Holmes' sister uh, called Enola Holmes, and the name of the book is The Case of the Missing Marcus and Enola Holmes' Mystery. So I presume it's a series of mysteries that this particular person has written. And, you know, a little while ago we had a Sherlock Holmes movie of a very old Sherlock Holmes played by Sir Ian, Mc, uh, Ian McKellen. Um, so here we have a, you know, going into the very early part of uh, Sherlock Holmes' life. And uh, in this particular case, the young Sherlock Holmes is played by Henry Cavill. So the uh, two-line summary is that when Enola Holmes, Sherlock's teen sister, discovers her mother, played by uh, Bo Helena Bonham Carter, um, discovers that her mother is missing, she sets off to find her. 
becoming a super sleuth in her own right as she outwits her famous brother and unravels a dangerous conspiracy around a mysterious young lord. So a 16-year-old Enola Holmes wakes up, wakes up in the morning and her mother is gone missing. And that's the story. Um, I, I think the movie's also gotten a lot of uh, fanfare because the lead character of Enola Holmes is played by Millie Bobby Brown, fresh off of Stranger Things. And in addition to um, the two brother, the brother and sister played by Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Cavill, Sam Claflin rounds off, rounds up by playing the third sibling. Uh, like I said, the movie also stars Helena Bonham Carter, um, as well as uh, who did I see? Uh, Fiona Shaw's in here and Francis de la Tour as well. Yeah. Yes, thank you. So. Uh, Oh, Fiona Shaw is in this as well. So I think the both of you have seen it. Uh, what do you guys have to say about Enola Holmes? It seems like a fun little caper. Tell me I'm right or wrong. So it's interesting. I mean, I hadn't heard about this movie, um, you know, kind of going into it. It just, I have a, a, a bunch of things that pop up in my YouTube feed and reviews of this kept popping up as, um, and, you know, some, and I, I didn't actually watch any of them, but, Sometimes when you have a, a YouTube feed, you get thumbnails of like what the review outcome was. So, you know, great, great. And mm -hmm. A couple of them popped up and the thumbnail literally led me to think that this was going to be a great watching experience. I saw it, it was released with big fanfare on Netflix. It was always on our home screen. So I, I, I thought, well, you know, let's, let's take a look at this one. So I had no idea that this was aimed at a slightly younger audience. Um, I thought that this movie um, was, you know, maybe a spin-off of the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes. It was the last, you know, that's the last kind of Sherlock Holmes world that we had seen. Not, not necessarily expecting that, but just kind of building on that. Um, and this is very, very much, um, you know, a kind of a teen movie. Um, and I don't say that disrespectfully, but just know that that is kind of what you're buying when you hit play on this. And I loved it. I think this movie is filled with kind of the effervescent joy of this character of, um, you know, what it's like to be, um, you know, it has a lot to say about the politics of you know, 18th, 19th century uh, Britain. And um, it has a wonderfully sparky um, young female character that I think would stand up to any young girl as a real example of, of what to be. She's, she's still, you know, she's, 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 uh, well, I'll, I'll kind of stop there and let Rashmi give her two cents and then we'll get into kind of a deeper discussion. But I love this movie. I mm. love, love, love this movie. This is delightfully enchanting and magical and fun and um, topical and easy breezy yet deep and meaningful all at the same time and it is acted beautifully it's got great production great costume it's bright and it's just joyful and mm. um, it uncovers so much as you said Joe about the time and how relevant it is to now and I would want Every young, young girl, young woman, tween, pre-tween, teen to watch this. It's just effervescent. 
is a really good word. Well, no, I, I feel bad now because I look at the Rotten Tomatoes description and they use the word effervescent. And that, ah. that's completely coincidental. I, I, I promise you I didn't see that before now because that this movie is just, it's bubbly, it's light, it's fun, it, it's refreshing. And, and I think it all, to, to me... I, I was completely uh, transfixed by the way that Millie Bobby Brown, it, you know, injects her energy into this character. It it mm. could come off as insincere and annoying in so many ways, but she 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 just has a knack of using just the right tone. You know, there are there are some, you know, there's it, it's not one one kind of pitch that she has to play throughout the whole movie as this joyful, um, you know, strong. Uh, positive character she has some things to deal with and she she hits all of those notes just right and I think that to me is where the movie really works it it it, it relies so heavily on her but she nails it so perfectly um that you know everyone else around her almost looks like you know dull yeah I mean you know Henry Cavill's mm. portrayal of Sherlock Holmes is what it needs to be um but it again I I feel like he left opportunity on the table there because he doesn't match her at all like they're putting the two of them side by side so yeah it, it's just it, it's so much fun that you know again I, I would recommend anyone with you know a girl between the age of you know 10 and 20 like this is required viewing because I think it just shows what um, to me at least what we should be what we should have our young girls aspiring to be right that they, they, they mm. don't have to they can still be feminine and strong and clever and uh you know they don't have to be um you know kind of militant and angry in order to fight their way through the world and i think that's what this movie you know really really does nicely and it's smart right like never at any point in time could i work out how it's gonna end none of it was predictable mm. for me um and yet it's so enjoyable as a caper, Yazdi. Like you said the word caper. It is a caper, but it's so fun and it just has the right amount of everything. It's just light. Like I said, it, it manages to be light and fluffy, yet deep and meaningful. And I don't know how they did that. And again, I'll, I'll echo what, what Joe said. Millie Bobby Brown is exceptional as the lead. And so she's in almost every frame of the movie. And you mm. never get bored of watching her. And really good support mm. from everyone else, right? Everyone is good in this movie. Um, Sam Claffin is good. Helena Bonham Carter is great. Fiona Shaw is great. It's just really good. Yeah, mm. and, and it's fine. Does and it, it kind of, you know, make use of the um, Sherlock Holmes kind of world and kind of make like, cheeky homages to it, to it or it's just its own separate world like, yes does it no. use any of Sherlock Holmes's characteristics yes and no I mean I, th I think you know the whole Sherlock Holmes shtick I hate the word shtick it's become kind of a, a real thing of 2020 but I use it all the time um, but the whole the whole thing with Sherlock Holmes is his brilliance and how he is able to deduce upon um, with minimal information uh, what the true goings on are at any given you know moment in time you know the hounds of the Baskervilles and all of those kind of really clever elementary my mm. dear Watson type things and so this movie has that kind of cleverness behind it so um, you know I won't necessarily say these are puzzles one could solve as one went through the movie but it's it's a delight to see the character thinking in this um, 
you know, very, um, again, to use the word brilliant, very sharp, witty, picking up on the smallest of details to come to logical conclusions that hang in t- with integrity in the, in the world of the movie. And that, that's, the, that's the cleverness in the writing, I think. You know, again, this stuff could be really annoying by popping up new information or not quite giving us explanations that, that have, um, you know, that hold, hold water ultimately at the end of the movie. And, and, but no, all of this thing kind of clicks into play really nicely and satisfyingly. It's clearly set up for more sequels and I, I hope mm. to see this, this version of the character pop up more and more again. Um, I think, you know, she's, a, she's an absolute delight. So, you know, again, it, it's, it's what I think that the Harry Potter movies could have been in some ways, but failed mm. to be that for me, right? I think... As, as accomplished and as enjoyable as those movies were, I always felt the world was full of gobbledygook and I never quite kind of got... Um, I, I mean, to, to this day, I can't explain to you the plot of any single one of those Harry Potter movies. Um, whereas here, I could totally tell you with absolute clarity what the what the, the caper was about. So Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up Harry Potter, Joe, because I it, it also invoked... Harry Potter for me and I couldn't figure out if that was just because it's a a certain portrayal of England regardless of the fact that this is a hundred years before um but there is something Harry Potter-esque in it and I think as I try and distill it down it's the fact that it's so enchanting and mesmerizing and and magical in its world although it's not magical as such like Joe said there's absolute credibility and explanation behind anything magical that happens that makes it feel very grounded in reality. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I can sum this one up. It, this, one, this one is a delight. This is a Russian sea. I mean, put this on as soon as you hear the, the podcast because you won't be disappointed. Easily for me, a nine out of 10. Whoa, Ooh. really? Yeah, it's just delightful. I felt so happy and joyful after I watched this. I, I really enjoyed this too and I'm I'm struggling to score it with an eight because I do feel that that's stingy. So I'm gonna go with a nine as well. But do know do know that this movie is, is not necessarily aimed at the adult set, right? This is clearly a teen movie. Um Yet both of us have loved it. Well, that that's the point I'm trying to make. If yeah. you go in it with an expectation of it being, you know, kind of a, a, a big, kind of bold, you know, new world, postmodern take on the Sherlock Holmes uh, theme with a with a switched character, you you'll 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 be disappointed. This is this is very much a movie aimed at a younger crowd, but in in the same way um, that gosh, oh, sorry, struggling to think of an example, but the the the, the movies that. You know, like like any Pixar movie, you could argue is made for kids, but they're not, right? I mean, you 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 have to kind of understand that there are there is much enjoyment that somebody can get out of a well crafted movie that's aimed at a slightly different def- demographic, and this movie delivers that. So, um, you know, whether it was its Britishness that won me, the actress, the actors, you know, it, I I really really had fun time with this, and I kind of want to watch it again because it it was it was just it was so much fun being in its world. Huh. Yeah, I okay, know. Okay, I'll have I to mean, get on it right away. It's it's a it, I'm I'm amazed at my own reaction to it, but I just I had giddy giddy glee going through it. So, moving on, final movie of the podcast is the movie Holiday. So, 
I'll give that one a very brief intro. Um, so this is uh, a rom-com with a, with a very simple logline. Uh, fed up with being single on holidays, two strangers agree to be each other's platonic plus ones all year long, only to catch real feelings along the way. Uh, the movie stars uh, Emma Robert and Luke Bracely and is... Um, Directed by John Weitzel, who doesn't have the strongest of resumes here. He's, uh, if you look at his filmography on Rotten Tomatoes, it's filled with green splotches. So, uh, Big Mama's House, Thunderstruck, Deck the Halls, um, among others. Uh, so, I haven't seen this, but Rashmi and Yazdi, I believe. No, no Rashmi, I think yeah, I'm Yazdi, the only one. Yazdi didn't. So, uh, did, we, did I... we dodge a bullet or would this scratch our, our vacation itch? I should say, you know, being the resident, you know, forever hopeful person about romantic comedies, I saw the trailer and I really wanted to watch it. I didn't get a chance. But I was told by my sister that maybe I should not watch it because it, it isn't all that. So Rashmi, please tell us. Should I rush out? Maybe please not. don't. You guys dodged oh. a huge bullet. Um, look, I feel terrible saying this. This may be the worst, not only the worst <laughs> rom-com ever, but maybe the worst movie I've watched in a long, long time. Oh, oh my God. This that is bad? terrible. I mean, all you need to know is in that log line. This is so predictable from the, from the first scene onwards. Um, it is a poor cousin of, you know, when Harry Met Sally meets Plus One meets... Every other, you know, predictable rom-com out there. This is just terrible. This is terrible. And I I kind of put it on because I thought, oh, Holiday sounds fun, uh, looks easy enough to watch. And it was a struggle for me to get through it. I considered putting it off about six times. Um, but by that time, I was kind of, you know, halfway through, three quarters of the way through. And, um, you know, it... Awful, awful. I, I'm, I'm going to just, I don't even think we should waste any more airtime on this. Um, is, it, is, it, is it just a bad script, I take it then? Because it, it can't be, is it the acting? What is it? I think it's a bad script. I think it's a terrible script. I think it's so derivative and poorly derived. Um, there's nothing, nothing unoriginal in this. Not, not one unoriginal thing. Um, you mean nothing original in it? Origin. Oh, yeah, sorry. The yeah, thing was wholly unoriginal. It's wholly unoriginal. Wholly. I mean, it's literally like taking, it's like, you know, if you took reels of all the rom-coms you've seen and threw them in the air and then picked random frames and stuck them together, um... That's what this movie is. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. I, I mean, I, <laughs> that, I'll I give it. I'll give it like uh, honestly. I'll give it like a two out of ten. Um, because the actors no, showed up and no, tried to do their best. Is it so bad that it's good, or is it just? No, it's terrible. Did you gain any entertainment? Because I think you did get through it. I got through it. Like it wasn't like switch this off. This is so bad. I would rather go. Uh, brush my teeth or something it's terrible it's a really <laughs> bad movie it's a really bad movie it's so contrived and um i feel Kristen chenoweth in, is in this and she's usually really funny 
And she has mm-hmm. a terrible role that she has to play of this kind of molesty aunt who, <laughs> whose job it is just like, literally she dates everyone. And it's just poor, poor, poor Kristen Chenoweth. Because she's really funny and she ends up having to be in a bunny costume at Easter. That's how bad it is. <laughs> it's terrible. John White. Uh, you know what? I don't even want to give it two out of ten. I'm actually going to score this one zero. Oh no, no. I mean, zero maybe, maybe be one. Maybe no, one. Look, it's I'm going to give it a it one. one. Okay, maybe one out of ten. This is terrible. <laughs> I now I need to see it. Like now, yeah, I absolutely I, I like too, yeah. have to kind of understand just yeah, like how I, bad it okay, is. Okay, I give it one because Luke Bracey and Emma Roberts have good chemistry. And Emma Roberts is delightful. I mean, I haven't, I wouldn't put her up there with her aunt, but I mean, she's definitely uh, a, a believable actress. Like, she's believable. It's just this is a terrible script. It's so cringy. <laughs> terrible movie. Which is a shame because Netflix was on a roll for a while there with making some pretty decent romantic comedies. You yeah. Know, so. Yeah. You know, this director, okay. again, has had, I mean, gosh, I'm looking at his, uh, uh, John Weitzel, so Holiday, Thunderstruck, Big Mama's, Deck the Halls, Big Mama's House, Malibu's Most Wanted, Sea Spot Run, and Calendar Girl. He's gone as low as 11%, so, um, yeah, not, not, <laughs> maybe the issue is there. That's too bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm looking at the Rotten Tomatoes, um, Comments and some of them are really funny. Ty Burr from the Boston Globe. You'll find better deals on the on the sales shelf at the Christmas store on December the twenty sixth. <laughs> it's terrible. Why did you put this at the end of the podcast? I hate I finishing know, on a downer. I know. We should. If, I wonder if you could splice. <laughs> no, do it the I'm, other way. I, I, I refuse. We we we. Um, I'll I'll keep it in as is. Yeah, yeah. You leave us on a bum note. I'm so. sorry, but it's funny, right? Like, I mean. Someone's put here, I'd rather watch the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Oh, that's Wait. too bad. It, it, is. It, it, is, it is like the rom-com of 2020. Like it sums up. <laughs> it is a perfect rom-com for 2020 because it's not. Because 2020 has been so sucky. Sucky, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. dear. If, yeah. if 2020 is a rom-com, this would be it. This that, would be, there saying. you go. Thank that, you, Joe. That's what you're saying, That's right? what I'm saying. If 2020 <laughs> was a rom-com, this would be it. It's terrible. <sighs> Too bad. Wow. All right. Well, again, thank you very much for listening. We hope that these podcasts are of use with you trying to navigate the maze of options that one is lucky enough to have during the, the, a time when the movie theaters aren't open to most of us. So... Uh, Thank you for listening. As always, too many movies, too little time. We'll be back soon with more reviews and movie news and banter. I think we're going to watch the Constitution one. And Yazdi, you should definitely go and watch it in Ola Holmes. In Ola Holmes, yeah. Maybe tonight. You'll hate us for it, I'm sure. No, I don't think so. Oh, no, this sounds totally down. This sounds totally up Yazdi's It's a little dose of happiness if you feel like uh, your day. There we go. This is is how we bring it back. This is, I I switched it around. There you go. (laughs) Uh, It's a little, yeah, it'll, it'll, I think I would pretty much guarantee it putting a smile on your face at the end of a a long day. Okay. Cool. All right. Too many weeks, too little time. Goodbye from me. And me. And me as well. (laughs) 